Let's turn together now to 1 Peter and chapter 4. And we can read at verse 17. 1 Peter 4 at verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so on. For the benefit of those who have been here in recent weeks, we are continuing a study of the first letter of Peter. And we have noticed that Peter has written to those who see themselves as exiles who are scattered over what was then Asia and people who feel as if they are exiles because they don't feel as if they are the people of God and they certainly don't feel as if they are under God's watchful care. And God and Peter speaks to them and writes to them to encourage them in their faith, to give them to know the riches of their salvation, and then he goes on to deal with them in their everyday lives and to speak into the way in which they are to submit to those who are around them. In general terms, the way in which they are to live their lives in the culture in which they find themselves as the people of God. And in the section in which we are looking at today, it's part of a longer section, which begins at verse 13 in chapter 3, which is looking at the Christian and suffering in the world. And he has uh, spoken to his uh, hearers and done so in such a way as to, to remind them that it is a good thing to suffer for doing good and that they have the example of the Lord Jesus as the one who suffered, the righteous for the unrighteous. And this whole section uh, is hanging off verse number 7 in this chapter uh, where we read that the end of all things is at hand. And so there's the general uh, sense of the context of the whole of the letter, but this section is certainly to do with thinking about things in the light of what's going to happen at the end and drawing near to the end times. And when you come back here to verse number 12, perhaps his hearers would be saying, not suffering again, because he keeps going back to suffering and helping them to understand why there is suffering in the world. But it's suffering again because he wants them to be clear on why there is suffering in the world, the purpose of it, and what are the results of it. And today we want to think about that. I think suffering is one of the greatest challenges to, to faith in the world. And it's an obstacle to so many people. It's a sign to so many people of God being absent, when in actual fact, in many ways, it's a sign of God being present and God being present to help. And so today we want to look at these verses from verse 12 down to verse number 18 and to think of the presence and purpose of Christian suffering. I want to see, first of all, that we have here a formula. And in any kind of formula, there are things that are constants and there are things that are variable. And that's what we see in the experience of the children of God. And in this formula, we we see that Peter wants them to know that there is something certain that will happen to them 
and for them not to be surprised when that happens. In verse number 12, do not be surprised at the fiery travel trial when it comes upon you to test you. He has spoken earlier of the non-Christians, the unbelievers, being surprised that they don't continue to live life with them as they did. But now he's addressing a surprise in their experience, and it is a surprise with regard to the presence of suffering in their lives. And being surprised is, is in the words in which Peter uses, it's being surprised in the sense of something being strange. And we saw last week with regard to, to strangers and the importance of giving hospitality to strangers because strangers were from a different culture and there were tensions and there were so many differences that it was difficult to have that kind of hospitable relationship. But here the, the, the strangeness comes with regard to suffering and in a sense of his telling them that they should give hospitality to, to strangers, they should also recognize that the suffering that they think to be a strange thing and that causes so much tension in their faith and in their experience is actually something that they should not consider as strange at all. And that is because of the very nature of the suffering that they are enduring. Do not be surprised at the fiery tri trial when it comes upon you. There is a trial. There is a test. There is a test to prove the genuineness of something. It's important to have these moments in life when what we are and what we have is being tested. Do we have real faith? Do we have real belief in the Lord Jesus? Is our faith sincere? There needs to be a test. And God in his wisdom has decided that the test for genuine faith will be the fiery trial. And it is a fiery trial because of the very way in which it burns away to refine the faith that the people of God have in their hearts. And we saw in the prophecy of Zechariah where we read in chapter number 13 where the people are divided into thirds and two-thirds perish but one-third they are the remnant. In other words, they are the chosen people of God. And for the remnant, the chosen people of God, God is saying, I will refine them as one refines silver. I will test them as one tests gold. God is the refiner who is purifying the Christian and purifying their faith in order to show and to prove the genuineness of that faith and in order at the same time for that faith to grow and to increase. And the very thing that they thought was there to be a stumbling block and to cause their faith to fail, in actual fact, is the very thing that God has put in their place and in their lives to strengthen their faith and to, to increase their love for God and their commitment to him. And 
for ourselves today as, as we wrestle as the people of God with any kind of suffering in life, we need to remind ourselves that when suffering comes, that we should ask what God is saying about it. Because if we have suffered anything, I'm sure all of us at some point have concluded that this would not have happened if I was a believer, that this doesn't happen to Christians. We see suffering as something that's strange, that belongs to somewhere else and to other people. That's the nature of our human response to to suffering when God sends it to us. But God is telling us today that that is simply a, a human, this worldly kind of understanding of suffering. That in actual fact, God has this formula. And this formula wants to have as its final outcome a purified faith and a purified people of God. And he puts into the lives of his children in this world the, the, the variable things. Your suffering might not be the same as mine. We are all so different. God deals with us personally and differently. The variables are there. But put the variables in where there is genuine faith and the outcome is a purified, refined faith. The proof of genuine faith being present in the hearts of those who are so suffering. And so... Peter is taking the surprise out of their their understanding of suffering and putting the surprise back in a new way. They are surprised that this is happening to them. And Peter is saying to them, instead of being surprised at this happening to you, be surprised every moment of your suffering. Be surprised that God is doing this for your good, to show that he is with you and for your benefit and for your development. The formula that speaks of putting joy into suffering. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, he wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And that's something of what what Peter is saying here. When we're walking through life in the midst of its challenges, we're not on our own. And the challenges are put there by God. And as we walk with him through the challenges, he is building up our faith. He is strengthening us with his own work. And he is so bringing us on so that the sufferings which we thought would be a means of stumbling, they actually become a springboard to help us to leap on in our faith. And with that new kind of understanding, Peter is saying to them in verse 13, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He wants them to have joy in their suffering now and to think also of the way in which Jesus will at last be revealed It's the end of the world kind of understanding of where we are on our journey going through this world. And if they find joy in their suffering now, 
they can look forward to have that rejoicing and gladness. And in, in the Old Testament, the, the rejoicing and gladness was when the people of God were going up to the house of God, they joyed. I joyed when to the house of God. Goab said to me, joy is something about the presence of God. It's something that speaks of the promised salvation of God. And so with this new understanding of suffering and this knowledge of God's formula for purifying their faith, they are able to find joy today and they are able to look forward to the revelation of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the veil will be taken away and when the Jesus whom they love now in in chapter number one, having not seen when he will become the visible Lord Jesus Christ, when every eye will see him, and because they have shared in his suffering in this world, they will share also in his glory. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that we shall be glorified together with him if we suffer uh, with him and for him here in this world. There is a formula. So let's be encouraged today. Let's not conclude always that when things go wrong, that they are indications of God's absence, when in actual fact they are indications of God's presence and God's commitment to walk with us through pain and through suffering. There is a formula. Secondly, there is a foretaste. And we read from verse 14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ. Jesus himself is the one who bore reproach. We read of that in Psalm number 69. We read of the story of, of Jesus going to the cross and he's bearing reproach for us and in being the servant of God. He was despised, he was rejected. They spat upon him. They put a crown of thorns upon him. He is the one who, who bore reproach. It's the, the, the same idea that we have here, insulted for the, the name of Christ. It's, being, it's laying things to their charge. It's false accusations. It's, it's any way in which they can seek to rubbish and stain the reputation of the person who is the child of God. Being insulted for the name of Christ. And he is careful to, to qualify what he is going to say. When we read in verse number 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. We will suffer for doing wrong. We deserve the penalty of, of a wrongdoing. But Peter is careful to remind them that there are these distinctions. And not to conclude that all our suffering is because of Christ and because of the name of Christ. 
He is careful to remind them that their lives are to be lived devoted to God, to be holy in the way in which he asked them in chapter 2, and to walk with them in communion with them in the path which he has set out for them. And in that path, being insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And we spoke in address to the children about being happy. Happiness is a wonderful thing. But happiness doesn't really explain the blessing of the Bible. It doesn't really explain what Peter is saying here. Blessing is something that that speaks of, of a joy that comes from outside of ourselves. It speaks of God blessing man in the sense of of approving of man and empowering man. So when the blessing of God comes, I know it comes from the heart of God, looking down upon in in the path of suffering, in the path of trial, in the path of difficulty. The blessing of God comes down. It comes down from the heart of God, approving the child of God in their faith and empowering them in that moment. And in simple terms, the blessing of God is taking part in the very life of God himself and the peace that comes from trusting in him and the peace of God dwelling in our hearts. It's a blessing that comes when God bestows upon us the particular gift of the grace of the gospel. And he goes on to to explain that particular gift by the way in which he draws our attention to the whole idea of foretasting. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Sometimes we can more or less touch the peace of God. Sadly for us, it's a rare experience but it can happen. But, but here is the sense of the spirit of glory, of the glory of God coming to rest upon us, coming to touch your lives, coming to overshadow. And uh, the spirit of glory from the Old Testament is the, the spirit of, of glory, of the glory of God that dwelt over the tabernacle and that dwelt over Solomon's temple. The cloud came down and rested, and the glory of God filled the temple. And so the spirit of the glory of God, it is that sense of God himself and all of his covenant power and faithfulness and commitment coming alongside, touching lives and touching lives with the power of his Holy Spirit. But when we examine more closely that the spirit is the spirit of glory and of God, or the spirit of the glory of God, it reminds us that this spirit comes from glory and with glory and with a fortest of glory in our experience going through life. And it's a marvelous experience to, to find in the places where we 
if they expect to fail and where our faith has reached wood's end corner that in these very moments that God sends to us a foretaste of heaven a small taste of the glory that awaits the people of God and that he comes to spread a table before us and he comes to excite our hearts with a, a glimpse of what the paradise of God looks like and, and tastes like, and that there are very experience of suffering and of pain becomes a moment when heaven comes to earth. And our experience is so transformed because God is bringing parts, tastes of glory with his own presence to enrich us where we are in these very moments. And earlier on in the, cha- in the letter, in, in chapter 1, Peter speaks of the way in which they rejoice in, in, in Christ Jesus. They, they, they rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. How is their joy full of glory? It is because the spirit that comes from glory with glory has come down alongside them and resting upon them. And their joy is full of glory because it is full of the anticipation and the expectation and and the joy of going to everlasting joy to be there with Christ and to see him as he is. It's a foretaste of heaven. And because of that foretaste, Peter wants them to remind themselves every day of their lives of the importance of remaining faithful and that this presence of God, the spirit of the glory of God with them is the means through which that faithfulness is achieved In verse number 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There is a sense of the foretaste of heaven, and there is that sense of making the name of God great, and our praises often by, by understanding our suffering, and by finding in these very moments the, the enriching of the presence of God. And if anyone does suffer as a Christian, and when we read the, the book of Acts, we, we understand that the name Christian was first of all given to those who were disciples of the Lord Jesus, not because they thought highly of them. It was a derogatory term. It was a, a term of insult. The Christians were called, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And it is that sense of of being reproached for the the name of the Lord Jesus. And when that happens, let him not be ashamed. And in the Old Testament, being ashamed or shame happens when, when God leaves us and God turns his back upon us and our enemies become stronger than ourselves. We are not to be ashamed here by turning our backs upon God 
And when the time of trial and of testing comes, we are to ensure that we remain faithful and loyal to him. And that's always a, a test for our faith when, when we, we, we suffer for being Christians and giving expression to our faith. We, we become ashamed and our mouths close, close and, and we, we, we stop sharing our faith. We have been silenced by, by the very way in which we are made to suffer for being disciples. And Peter is saying to them, Remember the foretaste of heaven. Remember that God is with you. Remember that the spirit of glory rests upon you. And when you suffer for being a Christian, glorify God in that name. Don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. And don't be ashamed of the gospel. There is that foretaste of heaven. That if we understand how it works and know its experience, then it gives us the empowering of God to stand up when we're reproached for our faith and to trust in the God who will give words to us when these words are required. So there's a formula that is a foretaste, and finally in the passage we see that there is a forewarning. And the forewarning comes in two ways, I expect, from verse 17 and verse 18, but we want to think of, of the forewarning and especially to do with the forewarning of judgment. In verse number 17, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. This is the time. This is the time for judgment. And this is the time when judgment has already begun. It has begun at the household of God. And wherever we look in our Bibles and look for an explanation of the household of God in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they are the true people of God. They are the, the church of God in the world. It describes them in chapter 2 as living stones built up as a spiritual house together. The household of God is the church of God. And there he tells us that at the church of God, judgment has begun. And we can understand judgment in different ways or different aspects of judgment. But the basic underlying idea of judgment is sifting out and separating. I throw wheat and chaff, as John says with regard to the ministry of Jesus. And in the wheat and the chaff, there must be a sifting, a sorting out of the chaff from the wheat. And judgment always has that aspect to it, that it is the means of sifting. And here, Peter is saying to them that that sifting is now beginning at the house of God. And when we read these words, I want us to read them in this way. For it is time for judgment to begin from the household of God. When you read in Ezekiel chapter 9, where, where God is coming to judge his people, and where he sends his messenger out, 
to put a mark on the, on the foreheads of, of his own people. And after he's done that, he sends his messenger out and instructs them to, to go out and not to spare and not to show any pity, but, but to, to kill those who are the enemies of, of God and of his church. And there in verse number 6, God tells the messenger who goes out with judgment, begin from my sanctuary. And he began with the elders. And so there's, there's the whole sense of, of the judgment beginning at the house of God or from the house of God. And what's the, what's the image that, that Peter wants us to see here? He wants us to see that the suffering that is taking place now in the church of God is a sifting process. And in that sifting process, from the church of God, through the sifting process, is taken those who do not have genuine faith. And their faith breaks down in the sufferings of life. And these sufferings are themselves the judgment of God in, in their lives and in the lives of all those connected to the church. And then that fearful truth that not only is suffering there to prove the genuineness of faith, it is also there to prove the faith that is not genuine. And when suffering does come, when there are great obstacles placed in the, in the face of, of the individual Christian or, or in the face of, of the Church of Christ in the world, and we, we see people departing from the faith because of that, we are not to be surprised because these are moments of judgment, moments of suffering, and moments of sifting out. And down through the experience of the church in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God is consistent in the way that he works. And today, he is doing it through, through the gospel here. And he is saying to us that, that this is what is happening with the people of God, that those who don't have genuine faith are being sifted out now through this suffering that God brings. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? This today is for all who don't believe in the Lord Jesus. This is today for all who are disobedient to the command of the Lord Jesus. All who, with rebellious hearts, don't want to know God, don't want God's control over their lives, don't want the Lord Jesus to be Lord over their lives. All those who want to seek their happiness and directions away from God, this now is for you. If judgment begins with the Christians, what will be the outcome for you? There is pain and there is suffering today that purifies and cleanses and that separates and that sifts out. But there is a day when the judgment will come with a greater degree of pain 
and a clear sense of, of division and of sifting where God will separate, as Jesus says, the sheep from the goats and in that great day of judgment he will send away from him those who continued to disobey the gospel. And the momentary suffering of the Christian in the world through which their, their faith is tested and proven genuine, that suffering cannot be compared to the suffering of under the eternal wrath of God throughout the endless ages of eternity. There's the forewarning. There's the encouragement for those who, who believe in the gospel and who trust in the Lord Jesus. God's formula is working. He never fails. There are no mistaken variables. He's got everything equal to the task and the outcome is secure. There is that fortress that we have on our journey through life that is for our strengthening and our encouragement in the midst of our greater trials. And there is this now time sifting and judgment. And there is the final day of judgment. And as Jesus says with regard to the disciples, those who trust in me and to hear my words, they will not come into judgment because they are passed from death into life. But what of you? Are you part of the judging, sifting today? Is your faith being purified and cleansed? Or are you disobedient to the gospel and awaiting the end time judgment at the throne room of God and at the judgment seat of Christ? May God help us to seek, to understand, to learn, and to come to faith in the Lord Jesus that we might be saved and experience heaven today and, and know something what it is to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we do bow before you, the great wise God that you are, who works so graciously and so powerfully in the lives of your children, who does so, so often to their surprise, but who has the greatest goal in your mind and in your heart. Help us to trust in you today as our Lord and as our Saviour. Bless all of us together in our hearts. Give the disobedient to desire and to long for you. And give to all of us a heart that will seek the Lord with the promise that the hearts that seek the Lord, that such people will live forever. Hear our prayer and accept us for Jesus' sake. Amen.